Hello and welcome to the Map Your Money podcast, a production of BGA Teams. We exist to simplify the lives of our clients and listeners and help you lay the course to meet your financial goals. Content is for educational purposes only. Consult a financial advisor or conduct your own due diligence of investing. Calls are pre-screened and the show was pre-recorded earlier this week. Hello and welcome to our very first episode of Map Your Money, a financial podcast hosted by Benedetti, Gooser & Associates and Beam Wealth Advisors. My name is Arish Narani and I am a wealth advisor and an accredited asset management specialist here at BGA Wealth. On the podcast, we will be featuring employees and guests from both BGA and Beam Wealth to share their insights on what's going on in the market, the economy, time-sensitive financial planning topics, digital assets such as cryptocurrency, and everything in between. Every episode will be split into three different segments, starting with market moves, then the timely topic, and concluding with our crypto clip. Feel free to reference the timestamps for each segment in the description. Without further ado, let's get into it. Kicking us off, I'm joined by Jeff Cohn, our Chief Investment Officer and CFA Charter Holder, to discuss our Market Moves segment. On this segment, we're going to focus on the takeaways from the market and economy in 2022. Before we get into it, we want to start off with something light. And so since it's January, a lot of people are talking about their New Year's resolutions. Uh, Jeff, are you a, a big New Year's resolutions person? Arish, actually, I'm not. You know, when the New Year comes around, I always think about what I could improve. But then I also think you know what, if there's something that I can improve, I need to do it in the moment and not wait for the new year, not make excuses. So I try to implement them at the time. I really like that. I like that. I, I know uh, whenever you're at the gym in, in January, it's always packed because everyone's uh, filling out their new year's resolutions. But I feel like two or three weeks in, it's it's back to its normal state. So uh, I like the fact that whenever you want to change something, you change it in the moment. And I think that's when real change happens. So, so that's awesome. The best time for improvement is now. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so I guess to start us off, we we want to discuss the performance of sort of like a balanced portfolio in 2022. And so balanced portfolio is a mix of stocks and bonds. Uh, for the most part, a lot of people refer to the 60-40 portfolio. So 60% in stocks and 40% in bonds. Uh, and so I know a lot of people are aware that stocks had a pretty bad year. Uh, but it was also quite the anomaly with bonds being down in 2022 as well. Uh, so why did we see such a historically bad performance from this balanced portfolio in 2022? Yeah, that's a great observation. What happened was the correlation between stocks and bonds was actually positive last year, and it's typically negative. So what is correlation? Correlation is essentially looking at the returns of two different assets and seeing if they move together or not. So if they have a positive correlation, that means they tend to move in the same direction. So if one moves up, the other one moves up. But if they have a negative correlation, they move in opposite directions. So one typically does well when the other one does poorly. And that's typically what we see with stocks and bonds. They typically have a negative correlation because when interest rates go up and bonds do poorly, that's typically because the economy is growing and is strengthening, which is good for stocks. But on the flip side, when the economy is weakening and is poor, interest rates tend to fall, which uh, helps that your bond portfolio do well. And so even if you have stocks do really well, uh, your bond typically eats away at a bit of that return with a negative return. Uh, and if your stocks do poorly, then your bonds typically make up some of that return back. Well, last year, we had the opposite. The Federal Reserve increased interest rates to a pretty big magnitude, actually historically uh, quick increase in interest rates. 
And so this impacted both stock portfolios, which went down, which is typical when the, when the Fed tightens monetary policy, but also the increase in interest rates made the bond portfolio go down as well. Interest rates and bond prices have an inverse relationship to each other. So when interest rates increase, bond prices actually fall. And that's actually what we saw last year. Something else to, to keep in mind here is that for 40 years, we've had a bull market in bonds. And so what does that mean? That means in the 1980s, interest rates actually peaked out and they've been falling ever since. So in the last 40 years, we've had interest rates falling, which is good for bond prices, which has mean that the bond portion of your portfolio has actually returned more than you would typically expect. You've not only received interest payments, but you've actually received an increase in the price, which has been buoyed by these lower interest rates. So one more thing about the interest rate sensitivity of the, of the stocks and bonds. So in, in the finance world, we have this term called duration. Duration means how sensitive to interest rate changes is your investment asset. Bonds are very sensitive. Okay. Stocks are also sensitive, but the most sensitive uh, stocks and bonds are the ones that have cash flows very far in the future. So if you think about it this way, if I tell you, I'll give you a dollar now or a dollar in one year, or a dollar in 20 years, it's pretty easy to see how you're going to value each of those dollars, right? You're going to value the dollar now a lot higher than you would a uh, dollar next year. And of course, a dollar in 20 years is, is not that much value at all. So the most sensitive assets are the ones that have those cash flows taking place very far in the future. And that's what we saw with one, bonds that have a very long maturity, and two, a lot of growth equities whose cash flows are projected to occur very far in the future. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that's important to to understand that correlation between interest rates uh, and and the prices of bonds and and how we saw that uh, correlate to the returns in both bonds and in stocks in in twenty twenty two, and and knowing that there is that inverse correlation between interest rates and prices. If you have a bond paying a one percent interest rate, and then Six months down the road, uh, interest rates increase, and you can go out and get a bond paying four or five percent interest. That one percent bond paying interest isn't worth as much as it was before. So, so exactly. I, th- I think that is a, a big, big takeaway there. And uh, on that, on that thought, with lessons and takeaways to be learned from twenty twenty two, do you have any major takeaways there? Absolutely. So there's a economic rule and it's a rule that applies in financial markets as well. It's called, there's no such thing as a free lunch. And so this is credited to Milton Friedman. And he would say, you know, even if you go out to lunch with somebody and they pay for it, there's no such thing as a free lunch. You still gave them your time. You, you still gave up something. There was some kind of trade-off with, with that lunch. Now in financial markets, this is a risk reward trade-off. If you want to earn additional return from an investment, you have to take more risk. And, you know, this risk really is just the potential for loss or and put another way, how much returns uh, vary from year to year. And so, you know, when the Federal Reserve was, was lowering interest rates, when they cut rates after COVID, when they were really pursuing this expansionary monetary policy, you had a lot of stocks that went straight up to the moon, right? So I'm thinking you're, you're very sens- interest rate sensitive, growth equities, you're very speculative tech companies. Those all went up quite a bit. And, and for a while, people were thinking, wow, okay, these, do these not have any risk? Like, why are these earning such a high return? What's going on? Maybe there is a free lunch in financial markets. Well, guess what? In 2022, when the Fed was raising rates, all of these stocks and all of these assets came crashing down. So to give you an example, 
the ARK Innovation ETF, which was led by Kathy Wood and invested in a lot of the most speculative tech companies, it was up 180% in 2020. And since the Fed has started raising rates, they're down 73% from their all-time high. So in another way, the growth equities, which outperformed value by over 200% since the great financial crisis, 200%, so basically tripled their return, they underperformed by 22% in 2022. So a lot of these financial assets that you thought were giving away, quote unquote, free return, have come back down to earth and have shown investors that really they were taking risk that they weren't aware of. So that's one lesson. Okay. There's no free lunch in financial markets. That is still true. Another uh, lesson from this is that investors should use combinations of historical and forward-looking indicators when putting together their asset allocation. So what does this mean? So Earlier, I talked about how there's been a bull market in bonds since the 1980s, right? And and basically what that means is if anyone wants to look back at the historical return, the historical performance of bonds, they're going to say, oh, okay, hey, it's returned about uh, 3.5% since just 2003, 3.5% a year since 2003. It's higher than that since the 1980s. Uh, Wow, that's that's pretty good. So does that mean that I can expect 3.5% going forward because that's what it's averaged? Well, if you only use backward-looking indicators, that's what you would conclude. But us here looking at forward-looking indicators, we saw the writing on the wall. We saw that the Fed was likely going to increase interest rates, that interest rates were at historically low levels, and that a lot of that 3.5% return was because interest rates were actually falling over that period, and interest rates can't fall further than 0%. And so what happened last year? Bonds were down 13%, one of their worst years on record. And that's something that we identify because we use a combination of historical and forward-looking indicators. And that's something that you should keep in mind if you think about hiring a financial advisor is there's a lot of nuance to finance. There's a lot of nuance to asset allocation. These are the things that we can pick up on and add a little value to. Yeah, I think, I think that's really important because I know a lot of individuals, whether it's looking at a stock, a bond, a fund, whatever it might be, the first thing a lot of people do or like to do is pull up a chart and say, oh, okay, They've been doing well. If I invested on in in this company a year or two years ago, I, I would have made so much return over the last year and two years. Um, when that shouldn't be the only thing that you're looking at. Just because they've done well in the past doesn't mean they're going to do well in the future. That's the typical compliance 101 is past returns uh, don't indicate future results. And, and, and I think that's important when choosing your portfolio as well. Exactly. Exactly. Got one other thing for you. And this is, this is just a general rule of thumb, but it's a good thing to keep in mind. And 2022 gave us a great example of this. So we always have our base case forecast, things that we expect to happen in the next six to 12 months. But it's very important to realize that all of these base case forecasts. So one thing we know about forecasts is that they're wrong. That's, that's true for any <laughs> forecast out there. No, it's, it's good to have a base case expectation, but just understand that there's going to be some kind of exogenous or outside factors that eventually sure. will affect this in a way that's unpredictable and could be you know, a, a pretty severe magnitude. And one example that we got last year was the invasion of Ukraine by Russian forces and the effect that that had, especially with the grain production and exports out of Ukraine, but also on energy because Russia is a pretty big natural gas and, and oil producer. So, I mean, all of this combined, this is tells you that even if it's not war, there's, there's things like disruptive weather events, fraud, and political changes that can impact your portfolio in a way that's impossible to predict ahead of time. And this is why the ultimate risk mitigator that we have is diversification. 
Definitely. And and I think that's also kind of a point to investing for the long term as well. The short term, there's always going to be so many different factors that go into play into what affects your asset classes uh, and their performance. Uh, and, and honestly, in the short term, it is really, really hard to predict. And we, we want to stray away from that. We want to match your goals with your investment portfolio. Um, and, and typically, the goals that you have aren't, aren't set up for the next year to three years. And if they are, maybe we want to take some risk off of the table there. Um, so, so I think that's also a, another great takeaway. Absolutely. And so to conclude, a, a big talking point, especially at the end of the year uh, here in December, was, was tax loss harvesting, especially in, in our industry. And so this is something that we were able to successfully complete for our clients, which was great. Um, but Jeff, if you could quickly explain what tax loss harvesting is and how it's beneficial to the everyday investor. Yeah, sure. Uh, so let's start with what a realized tax loss or a realized tax gain means. That means when you buy an asset and then eventually sell that asset, you close out your position, the IRS will actually make you pay taxes if you gain money. And if you lost money, you can offset any other gains that you have. And so with a portfolio, with a diversified portfolio, with assets that behave differently across different economic conditions and market conditions, you're going to have some positions that do well and make money. And you're going to have some positions that don't do well and they lose money. That's the whole point of a balanced diversified portfolio. But what we can do as financial advisors is we can go into those positions that lost money and we can realize that loss. We can close out the position, swap out basically a, a similar or, or identical security to maintain exposure. And then we can book that loss for tax purposes. So what does that do for the end client? The end client can now take those losses and offset any gains they have, not only in their investment portfolio, but other business interests that they may have. And they can offset up to $3,000 of their ordinary income. And guess what? If you don't use all the tax losses that that you accumulated in a certain year, you can carry them forward to offset future gains and future income until they're completely depleted. So that's what we did in client portfolios this year. We're very happy that we were able to take those losses and take the advantage as the market's given us. But of course, we'd like to get back to making money. Definitely. And and I think it's it's really important that we we not just sell out of the position completely. We're replacing that position with another fund or, or um, allocation that we still have conviction in. Um, and so you still have that market exposure. You're you're still diversified in the same way, uh, yet we're able to benefit on the losses that happened over the the last year, and and hopefully we're able to use that to offset future gains uh, that we hopefully see sooner rather than later. Exactly. Thanks for for joining here, Jeff. Um, I know that was extremely insightful, kind of going through. Uh, what happened in 2022? Um, I, I wanted to, since it's the beginning of the year, wanted to focus on on what happened over the the last year. But I know in future episodes we'll we'll talk about what's going on right now in 2023. Thanks for your time, Jeff. Yeah, thank you. Looking forward to it. In this next segment, I'm joined by Heather Gardner, one of our wealth advisors on the team and certified financial planner. For this segment, we're going to be discussing changes to contribution limits for retirement plans in 2023 and discuss the benefits and planning around saving towards a retirement plan like a 401k. We like to start off with with something light, just like in the the first segment, so an icebreaker. Um, We asked Jeff about New Year's resolutions. Um, And so for you, Heather, it's the beginning of the year. We just went through the holiday season. Um, it's, It's fresh, top of mind. So I often like asking this question, what are your top three favorite holidays in, in order? 
Oh, what a fun question. Um, I guess I'm mostly about the people. So um, for me, Christmas is a big family gathering. Yeah. And Thanksgiving is also a big family gathering. But I'm actually more about fireworks than food. So coming in after those would need to be um, Fourth of July and New Year's. New Year's, we, there were some excellent fireworks that I oh, saw yeah. for New Year's. Oh, yeah. I'm a big fan of Fourth of July. That's, that's probably one of my, maybe my top top one there. Um, but yeah, Chris, Christmas is definitely a, a big one for everyone as well as Thanksgiving's. Um, definitely great answers there. I guess to begin the show, um, want to talk about changes to, to what's happened in 2023, um, especially like contribution changes. And so I know we're going to be talking a little bit more about 401k, 403b side, uh, but I want to quickly touch on the new contribution limits for IRAs as well. So if you could go into that quickly. Yes. So a lot of people do not get excited about stuff like this, but it is actually very exciting. It can save you money on taxes and it can help you save for your future, which is really just paying your future self. So although this could be considered kind of dry and boring, we haven't seen this kind of this type of increase in quite a while. Mm -hmm. So the 2023 contribution limits for larger retirement plans. So most common is 401k. A similar thing to a 401k is a 403b, which we sometimes see in the not-for-profit arena. Then there's a 457 plan and a thrift savings plan that we sometimes see in military or education forums. But they all, from the tax standpoint, function the same. So the new limits for 2023 are higher than 2022. An individual can put in $22,500, which is $2,000 more than last year. And if you happen to be 50 years old or older, you get to put in more. It's called a catch-up contribution. So you can put in another $7,500 for 2023, which is also more than 2022. So what that means is you can save on your taxes. And you can pay your future self more. So it is actually a benefit. Along with that, traditional IRAs and Roth IRAs got a bump up also. From $6,000 to $6,500 you can put in as an individual. And there's still there's another $1,000 catch up for that. It's actually great news mm -hmm. that you know the American public savers got a raise. Yeah, definitely. And, and I think it's really important because a lot of people sort of set a monthly contribution limit for their 401k or their IRA and they just kind of set it or forget it. Um, and maybe they were maxing that out on a monthly basis. But now that these contributions have increased, uh, it's an opportunity to look back at that and maybe increase your monthly contributions so you can take full advantage of that, like you mentioned. Yeah. Uh, and so we, we always hear about the importance of, of saving towards these defined contribution plans, the 401k, 403b, TSP, et cetera. Um, but I feel like we rarely discuss the importance of why kind of going through that a little deeper. And so could you sort of go through and break down the advantages? I know you have, uh, these five A's for, for the savings advantage. So can, can you break, break these down for us? Definitely. So it is to your advantage. So there's access, automatic additions, accumulation, and then allocation. So Access, the employer retirement plans are the number one way that people save for their own future. Um, and more than 100 million Americans are just are covered by a plan like that. So most, if you're listening to this, it is more likely than not that you have access to a plan. And you should take advantage of the access. 
And, and those defined contribution plans are, are the ones we mentioned earlier. So like a 401k or 403b TSP, depending on uh, where, where you, you're working or, or at, that, then you'll have those different options there. And so that, that's sort of what, what these, these A's are covering. Yes. So defined contribution plans are those 401k, 403b, 457, and thrift savings plans. And if anybody's curious, they have those names because that was the tax code under which they were originally developed. Um, that's why they may not, you know, make any, you know, logical sense. <laughs> that was the tax code <laughs> over there they were developed. But they're all covered under this umbrella of defined contribution, and they are very accessible, mm-hmm. which is a great benefit of being employed in America. Um, the second major advantage you alluded to a little bit earlier, and that is automatic. When you set it and forget it, it is the, the impact can be profound because it's coming out of your paycheck before you see it. You're you're not spending it and then having to, um, you know, you're not at mentally spending it and then having to pull it back. It comes out of your paycheck before it hits your bank account for spending money. And it can really have this great compound effect because you're not seeing it. So that automatic is key. Definitely. The other thing is additions, like you can put in what we just went over, $22,500 a year, which is significant, but many employers will also add in some money for you. Um, In recent years, when the job market got so heated and tight, we actually saw employers increasing their matching as to kind of sweeten the deal to bring someone over to a new company. So we see an array. Sometimes it's a 3% match. It can be, sometimes we see an 8% match or some variation. So the company itself determines how that works. You should definitely try to take advantage of every single dollar that they will contribute on your behalf because it just helps your retirement. And it's like um, money they're willing to pay you if you participate, that if you don't participate, you leave it on the table. Exactly. Yeah. I, I definitely think that's a, a huge sticking point there is taking full advantage of the company match. Um, and even if you're unable in a situation to do the full contribution, that $22,500, um, if, if you're unable to even do that, but but your company offers a 3% or a 4% match, at least make that contribution to your 401k so, so you're fully maxing that out. Definitely, because you really are essentially leaving money on the table for yourself if you don't get their full match, however that, however your company structures it. Um, The next part is accumulation. So in an ideal situation, you would start saving on day one of your very first job for all of us that doesn't happen, but now is always better than later. Investing um, time is on your side in nearly any situation and investing. So the earlier you start, the more the power of compound interest can help you. So time is on your side, even if you haven't done it before. And even if you're just hearing, you know, maybe you looked at your employee benefits and realized there was a match and didn't know Um, any time that you any participation at all will help you in the future. The accumulation, the the giant snowball effect will be in your favor. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, compound interest is is very, very hard to beat. and, And one of the reasons that it's so important to start from day one, like you mentioned. So our last A is to allocate, which is kind of the same thing as act. Like, what are you going to do with this information? So decide how much you want to save in each paycheck. So if you want to try to 
do a certain amount of money, you want to try to get your match, you need to know the rules and sort of the um, the rules of the game for your particular employer and your particular plan. Maybe you're paid twice a month, maybe you're paid weekly. So work that out. What, how much per paycheck that you want to try to save? Another question is to do a Roth 401k or a traditional 401k. Sometimes depending on your employer, you may have an option to do one or the other or both. So the Roth version is newer to the scene, but it can be a great advantage in the long term. The difference in the two is a traditional contribution. You pay it out of your paycheck pre-tax. So you're deferring taxes on that money and you don't pay taxes in 2023. When you take the money out, like years from now, after it's grown a lot, you pay taxes on it when you take it out of the account. Roth works the exact opposite. So you put the money in after tax. So you pay taxes in 2023 on the income that you earn and put in the Roth 401k. However, it grows over time. And when you take it out, you pay no tax, which at that time would feel very good. Mm -hmm. And there is not a right or wrong answer on either one of these. And it's just great employer plans tend to offer both now. Sometimes people just divide it up and do some in each camp. And that's great too. Yeah, and do get a company match. This isn't as common knowledge. So no matter if you're contributing uh, pre-tax or after-tax, so Roth or not Roth, uh, your company match is, is always going to be in that pre-tax bucket. Um, so even if you are contributing after tax, uh, you, you are going to have some pre-tax money in there that, that your employer is, is contributing. That's an excellent point. And you definitely, like we said, you want to get the full match. Um, the last part of this allocation and act to kind of put your plan in motion is to select how you want, how you want the money invested. This is also done at the, at the individual plan level. So you would probably log in to your company's um, website and they you would have a menu of choices of how to allocate the money. Um, for some people, this can seem kind of overwhelming. Um, for our clients, we walk them through this process to, you know, in terms of what those fund options are in light of their whole financial picture. However, if you are in doubt, there is usually something referred to as a target date fund. And the target date would be your date of retirement. And Within that fund, it's going gonna, it's gonna to give you a mix of investments. So that's one of the ways to sort of um, take some of the decision-making out for yourself and just sort of defer that to a target date. So if in doubt, if don't get overwhelmed, <laughs> pick the target date fund and participate. Because either way, um, participation is better than not participation. Exactly. And, and with these target date funds, when you're further from retirement, it's going to be more aggressive, meaning more in stocks. Um, but then as you get closer to retirement, it will automatically uh, go more and more conservative because once you're, you're getting closer to retirement, closing, closer to that point where you're taking that money out, you don't want as much volatility. Um, and, and you're not as concerned with getting as much upside. But however, early uh, in, in your career or, or when you still have a lot of time before retirement, um, you, you do want to, to gain some more upside, even if there, it comes with some more volatility. Um, so target date funds are a really good way to participate in the market, to match your 
future goals of retirement with, with an asset allocation. Um, and so, so great point there. I know a lot of people will contribute to an IRA or a 401k um, and just check that box, but definitely make sure you're going in there and making sure that money isn't just going in and sitting in cash. You, you want to make sure it's getting invested. Otherwise you're, you're not going to have any compound interest. It's just going to be another savings account. And so um, I, I would definitely check on that. That's a great point. Sometimes it defaults to cash mm-hmm. too. And yeah, you want to at least go in there and, and give it some direction of how it can yeah. be invested. Let's do a quick review. Yeah. Access, you probably have access to a plan. Automatic, because coming out of that paycheck is the absolute easiest way to help your future self. It is the it is the easiest way for wherever you are in your career or life stage that when you get to that point of retirement, which is work optional, that there will be you know resources for you. Um, additions is point three, which is the employer match, like taking advantage of. Um, you know, the added employee benefit of them contributing on your behalf. Accumulation means start now if you haven't started already. And if you have started, maybe try to accumulate more, participate a little bit more. And the last part was allocate, which is more of the mechanics of exactly how much per paycheck will go in and where and how it will be invested. Exactly. That that was a great review, Heather. So thanks for going through that. Um, these are these are resources that are available to a lot of people through their employers and, and very important to take advantage of. Uh, it's a new year, so uh, paying attention to your finances and, and trying to set yourself up for, for a better future is, is really important and top of mind right now. Uh, and so glad to go over the, those contribution limits and, and the advantages and saving advantages within uh, these retirement plans, specifically a 401k. So thanks for joining, Heather. Concluding our episode today, I'm joined by Jamie Benedetti, a certified financial planner and one of our founders and partners at the firm to discuss our crypto clip segment. On this segment, we're going to discuss our views on cryptocurrency and some of the events that transpired around FTX. As you might have caught on by now, we like to kind of start off with something light, non-finance related. And so I always find this a pretty fun discussion point, um, being able to, to vent a little bit. Uh, so to speak, but what's what's a pet peeve or, or something that always kind of just rubs you the wrong way? Oh man, Arish, my biggest pet peeve right now is the office printer. <laughs> we've uh, we've all gone remote, and I'm not in the office that much, but when I am, I'm like scrambling and I can't print, and I can't get it fixed because I'm never here. And I'll call our IT company, and they're like, "Well, are you in the office?" And I'm like, "No." And uh, I spent like an hour with them on the phone. We thought we got it fixed. And then the other day I'm trying to print something and like 30 pages of gibberish started. Printing. Yeah. And right. I never have time to to get it fixed. So it drives me bananas. I just like email you or someone else and I'm like, hey, print this for me. Definitely. I, I've definitely liked the transition into more virtual stuff to, to not have to need to print as much because I've always dealt with printer issues, whether it was at home or at the office or at school. Um, so it's so kind of good to not need to print as much with like sharing a well, screen. And there's no so. way for me to fix this yeah, other than like yeah. scheduling, <laughs> like I've got a schedule time to come in here and then get on the phone with the IT company to get it fixed. That's fair. So I don't see That's it being fair. resolved anytime soon. Well, well, hopefully we can figure it out. But I guess to start today, I want to want to discuss some some topics around cryptocurrency. And so definitely a very hot topic over the last few years. Um, I know 
over over the last since around like 2013 or so um the, the conversation started around cryptocurrency uh followed by a bunch of different subtopics so whether it's the coins themselves whether you're talking about bitcoin ethereum all the different altcoins that have uh, been talked about crypto custodians where you're purchasing the cryptocurrency at coinbase gemini ftx which we'll we'll touch on a little bit later i know that's been in, in the news a ton this year um nfts i go on and on and on uh, and definitely want to approach these in the future and, and talk about some of these different topics um and i always feel like there's there's a bunch of new developments in the space tons of different concepts which we'll we'll get into in the future like i mentioned but i'd say objectively cryptocurrency it's considered a, a fairly difficult asset class to, to understand. It's, it's different than stocks. It's different than bonds. Um, but we're going to try to make it as digestible as possible in these crypto clips, easy to understand for the everyday investors. So, Jamie, to start, could you just touch on cryptocurrency as a whole and our firm's outlook and positioning on the asset class? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, we are pretty bullish on cryptocurrencies, not, not necessarily over the short term. I don't know what they're going to do over the next week or month, but in the next six months to three years, I, I think, you know, they are poised for uh, some positive returns. And I think to start to really understand why we're bullish on them, you got to take a step back and just think about markets broadly. They go through periods of mania or periods of euphoria where everyone's really hyped about a particular asset and, and those assets are overvalued. And then they go through periods of severe depression where everyone, you know, just thinks the world's going to hell in a handbasket and these assets are never going to recover and things are underpriced. And it's something that, you know, it's almost like you're doing business with a manic depressive person <laughs> and you want to be buying when, you know, when, when things are underpriced and you want to be selling when that person is, is really optimistic and thinks that things will never go down. And so this is actually a little bit counterintuitive for most mm -hmm. people. Usually when something's doing well, all, all of our clients want to buy it. Yeah. And when something's doing poorly, they want to get out of it. But we want to buy when people are selling and we want to sell when people are buying. And it's that kind of old, there's an old saying on Wall Street, buy fear and sell greed. Well, guess what? In crypto, we're at pretty much peak fear level right now. You know, in addition to the macroeconomic pressures that have been pushing crypto prices down, um, you also have this FTX fiasco, and that has really just put a negative cloud over all of the crypto industry, right or wrong. Um, that you know that that's brought everything down with it. And we talk about volatility. Well, this, broadly speaking, is a reason to to kind of add to portfolio positions of, of asset classes that are underpriced. Well, crypto is probably the most volatile asset class out there. Mm -hmm. So it's taken a big swing to the bottom. We think that there's a lot of upside. Um, you know, if we go back to maybe just briefly touching on FTX, we can get into that more. Yeah. Um, but that what's happened with FTX, I think also adds to a lot of confusion. Crypto is, is very complicated. There, you know, there was legitimate contagion with FTX mm -hmm. in the sense that even unrelated crypto assets had a lot of forced selling. So as an example, um, Bitcoin and FTX are totally different. FTX could be a massive fraud and it doesn't really change the fundamentals of Bitcoin as a protocol. But because of what happened at FTX, there was a lot of forced Bitcoin selling and it drove Bitcoin prices down. As an example, if someone had Bitcoin as collateral in a margin account, 
and they got a margin call, they had to sell probably at unattractive prices. And that in turn creates more sell pressure, which pushes prices down. And you get in this death spiral where all of these margin positions get unwound. So that's kind of the backdrop for this. So I'd say the, you know, the first reason is just looking broadly. Um, this is an asset class that's really oversold. Now, it is important here to make a distinction between different crypto assets because not all of them are good. There's a lot of junk in crypto. I would be the first to tell you that the majority, the lion's share of cryptocurrencies are going to go to zero. But that doesn't mean they're all bad. There are some cryptocurrencies that uh, have great fundamentals that uh, the use case and the product market fit has already been established. And for the purposes of this conversation, I'm, primar- I'm referring primarily to Bitcoin and Ethereum. Mm-hmm. And, and that's kind of the next step I wanted to go into. Uh, I know there's so many different routes and, and conversations you can have around cryptocurrency as a whole. You mentioned a lot of the different coins, uh, but I want to take a step back and just discuss Bitcoin and Ethereum. So like the fundamentals behind uh, those two coins in particular. So if we could go into like a slight more detail there, um, what would you say are the, the major fundamentals there and, and why we're bullish in those two assets specifically? Absolutely. Maybe one, one point to touch on here is if you think about this, we've got downward pressure on Bitcoin from the macroeconomic environment, from the hangover of FTX, but we have these great fundamentals and they're pushing in the, in the opposite direction. So I look at Bitcoin and Ethereum as kind of like a coiled spring, right? You've got all of these things pushing the price down, yet the fundamentals are solid and are pushing up. And we're sort of waiting for this catalyst where the price really runs. And that catalyst could be in the near term. It could be, you know, it could be three years out. Who knows? Um, But it is definitely worth having a small amount of exposure because there's a lot of upside risk. Uh, Sorry, a lot of upside potential, I think, relative to the downside risk. So you want me to talk about the fundamentals. Um, how much time do we have, Arch? <laughs> uh, well, let, let's keep it short. Let's let's just hit the, the main points here. Okay. Well, if that's the case, I think maybe we should stick to Bitcoin and, and uh, cover Ethereum on another podcast. Sure. So uh, to understand the fundamentals, I think first we got to understand what Bitcoin is. So Bitcoin is a decentralized, let's just call it money, right? It's a... It, First off, it's decentralized. What does that mean? It's run by computers all over the world. These are independent people running Bitcoin nodes um, that have to achieve consensus. That's important because you can't really turn it off. No government, no central bank controls it. To to really shut down Bitcoin, you'd have to shut the internet down in the Mm -hmm. whole world. And that's just not not a really a very realistic scenario. So so that's the first piece. It's this new sort of monet form of money or, or currency that, and we can get into the nuance of that because you, you could define it differently. You might say it's just a store of value. It's not really a currency, but the, the bottom line is it's being used as a store of value and no, no government, no central bank controls it. Um, there's also a finite supply. That is not the case with all of the other forms of currency that are issued by governments. So if you think about the US dollar, um, the treasury can print dollars and they have been. And um, the U S dollar is probably one of the better cases. It's a, it's a fairly stable currency. We have seen inflation, but it's nothing compared to the inflation we've seen in the rest of the world with, you know, currencies like the peso in Argentina or the Bolivar in Venezuela. So 
those two points are, are very important. It's decentralized, no one controls it, and there is a finite supply. There will only ever be 21 million Bitcoin. Why is it important? Um, well, in, in a lot of ways, it's, a, it's kind of a more evolved form of money. I think as an American, sometimes it's hard to grasp how meaningful this is because in the United States, you, you, you kind of look at this and say, why do I need Bitcoin? I have a bank account. I have Zelle, I've got PayPal, I've got Venmo. Bitcoin is not giving me anything that I need. And that's true if you're an American, let's say middle class mm -hmm. with access to the dollar. But you're in the privileged minority. The vast majority of the world does not have access to the dollar-based monetary system and they're unbanked. And so what that means is if you grow up in Venezuela or you grow up in Argentina where the economy's not been managed well, you have hyperinflation, you don't even have the ability to go to work, save that week's wages, and know that in a month, it's still going to be worth something. Mm -hmm. So in a, in a country like that, where you have hyperinflation, if you're wealthy, what do you do? You, you probably invest your, your savings in real estate, Sure. Um, maybe you buy government bonds, mm -hmm. but if you're poor, you work in the Bolivar, you get paid in the Bolivar, you spend in the Bolivar and you save in the Bolivar and, and then it becomes worthless pretty quickly. So Bitcoin is a lifeline for people like that. And that's one area where we're seeing a lot of use cases because you don't have to live in the U.S. to get access to it. All you need is an internet connection. Um, another kind of use case that is is really telling is that of remittances. So remittances are, if you're an immigrant, you come to the United States, you work, and then you send money back to your home country. It's a really common thing. A lot of countries in Central America, remittances make up a substantial portion of their GDP. And um, if you do that now, m most immigrants probably use something like Western Union. And Western Union is slow. You send that money back. I don't know how long it takes, three to five days before your relatives get it. It's very expensive. I mean, obnoxiously expensive. They might pay six, seven, eight, even upwards of 10% yeah. of what they send just to get their money back home to their relatives. With Bitcoin, you can essentially send that money. It's there in 10 minutes and your, your transaction costs are pennies. Sure. And what it would really require is you convert dollars to Bitcoin, you send the Bitcoin over. And then your relative who receives it converts the Bitcoin back to the local currency. So there's some really important use cases. I would definitely make the case that um, adoption is increasing. There is product market fit um, and, and it's attractively priced. So is this the bottom? I don't know. Uh, things definitely could go lower, but I think cryptos, cryptocurrencies broadly are attractively priced and in 10 years, I believe people will be using these more, not less. Yeah. Now, it'll definitely be interesting to see the adoption going forward and how that affects the overall price. But we, we it, it does seem like it's been hit so hard, yet there's still so much store value there and, and upside potential, like you mentioned. So I know we could keep going into it, but want want to conclude. I know FTX has been a major talking point over the last year um, or, or over the last couple of months, so to say. Um, so if we had, if we had one major takeaway from what has happened with FTX and what happened, what what would that be for you? Well, again, I think it's important to understand what FTX was and what happened there because I, I do think this again is misunderstood. 
FTX was a centralized exchange. And a centralized exchange is a, is a way of taking your fiat currency, your dollars, and converting it into cryptocurrency so that you can then use that cryptocurrency. So as an example, if I want to take my paycheck, convert it to Bitcoin, I could deposit it on FTX and then transact with someone who wants to take Bitcoin and exchange it into dollars. Now I have Bitcoin, they have dollars, and I can take my Bitcoin off the exchange. Um, I think a lot of people would just leave it on there mm -hmm. because you know they didn't need it. Sure. Well, what uh, what happened at FTX was outright fraud. This, this is really nothing to do with Bitcoin, nothing to do with Ethereum in terms of their fundamentals, and everything to do with just a giant Ponzi scheme. So centralized exchanges should not be loaning out customer deposits. Um, and in fact, that was explicitly stated in FTX's terms of service, but that's exactly what they were doing. Someone would deposit money. Let's say they deposit Bitcoin, deposit dollars, whatever it was. Um, and they think that they're there one-to-one. -one. And what was actually happening was FTX was pulling those dollars or those Bitcoins out, potentially either selling them and using them to fund, um, you know, either giving them to their, hedge fund Alameda Research or using them to make campaign contributions to politicians or who knows what other things. So it's important to really understand what was happening and know that this is fraud. It's a dark cloud that's hanging over all of the crypto industry, but it doesn't change the fact that these technologies are widely used and, and they, they, they do have a lot of growth appreciation. Yeah. And, and I definitely think there are mistakes with associating the the issues that have happened in FTX with cryptocurrency as a whole, rather than treating it as outright fraud, like you mentioned. And it's Bernie Madoff-esque in, in terms of what we saw there. Um, and so I, I don't want to spend too much time on on uh, FTX or, or the asset class as a whole, but thanks for the really good explanations. It was, it was good to start touching on Bitcoin, cryptocurrency as a whole, what has happened in FTX over the last couple of months. Uh, and we're going to dive deeper in future episodes, of course, but good good to kind of start uh, chipping away at, at this large iceberg, so to speak. And so um, interested in, in discussing in, in future episodes more about the outlook on the asset class and how to get exposure um, and, and the events uh, that, that we see upcoming in the space. So Awesome. Well, thanks for having me, Arsh. Yep. Thank you for listening to our very first episode of Map Your Money. It was great to hear from our chief investment officer, Jeff, about the performance of both stocks and bonds in 2022, our lessons and takeaways from the last year, and tax loss harvesting. Also, it was very beneficial to hear from another one of our wealth advisors, Heather, about contribution limit changes for 2023 and the advantages of saving into a defined contribution plan, such as a 401k, and splitting those advantages into those five A's. And then concluding with a great review of cryptocurrency, our bullish outlook on the asset class, and a brief touch on FTX from another one of our wealth advisors and partner at the firm, Jamie. If you're interested in learning more about who we are, who we work with, or what we do, you can visit our website at bgawealth.com for Benedetti Gooser & Associates or beamwealth.com for Beam Wealth Advisors. Thanks again, and I look forward to checking back in next episode. All information provided through this presentation is for educational purposes only and does not constitute investment, legal, or tax advice. It is not an offer to buy or sell any security or any insurance product. This is not an endorsement of any third party or such third party's views.
The information contained herein has been obtained from sources we believe to be reliable and is not guaranteed as to its accuracy or completeness. Whenever there are references to third-party content, this information is intended to provide additional perspective and should not be construed as an endorsement of any services, products, guidance, individuals, or points of view outside Benedetti, Gooser & Associates, and Beam Wealth Advisors. All examples are hypothetical and for illustrative purposes only. Benedetti, Gooser & Associates, and Beam Wealth Advisors do not offer tax or legal advice. Interested parties are strongly encouraged to seek advice from qualified tax and or legal experts regarding the best options for your particular circumstances.